0: The story you are about to hear is entirely true. Names and locations haven't been changed because I don't think anybody would really care. <laughs> Pornography, a story by Sky Odsley June, 2019. The first time I saw a naked woman was in the fourth grade. It was a picture in National Geographic magazine and the table of boys I was among were fascinated with it. The lady in the photo was carrying a baby in what appeared to be some sort of backpack. She was also holding hands with a small toddler. Both of them were barefoot and despite the toddler being entirely naked, what grabbed all our attention was the mother's chest she was wrapped in something from the waist down but otherwise shirtless as she turned toward the camera's eye while walking her family up a path in the woods the other boys at the table seemed pretty interested in her chest but all i remember thinking was what's the big deal i'd seen plenty of chests like that on old guys at the public pool although theirs had been far hairier so this poor woman had some extra flab why were my classmates dwelling on it so much I went to grade school with a bunch of assholes, and I'm sure all of them still are. One kid was named Andy Smith, and another one was named Robbie Gruel. They were the biggest assholes I'd ever met, and I'd been on the planet for nine years by that point. They were the ringleaders of the table that day, and I specifically remember each of them pointing out my disinterest in the photo to all the other guys. Then Robbie got up, and went over to the checkout desk and took our library's giant dictionary off its easel, where it was kept on display. I'd never seen a kid remove it before, but I wasn't surprised that Robbie was the one breaking this rule. He was a bad kid. The giant book barely fit in his arms as he carried it over to us, and I thought for sure all he was going to do was throw it at me. But as I shielded my eyes, the book instead came flying out of his hands and landed with a dusty thud right on the table in front of me. Then he bent by my side and began to flip through the pages. I looked around, realizing our teacher and the librarians were nowhere to be found. They'd left the gang of us in here unattended. Robbie flicked to the back half of the enormous book and then licked his fingers reading some and carefully turning a few pages, but not before studying each beginning word. He was looking for something, and as his classmate, I was shocked to see him give the writing so much concentration. Robbie Gruel wasn't really the type to read well aloud or turn in his homework, so I looked down at the words as well, wondering what the fuck he was going to show me. There, he said pointing to a word near the top right of a page. The word was sex, and its definition was long and complex with a lot of other words I didn't understand. What's sex, I asked, not being much into reading myself. Something you're never going to have, Robbie said, slamming the book closed. The table erupted in laughter because I was apparently the butt of some joke which was no different than a lot of other times. Robbie often made fun of me because of my weight and quiet nature. I was a wimpy kid, so I just took it, staring at the naked lady some more as they laughed at me. Looking back, I wish I would have said something rude in return, or gotten up and hit Robbie with the big old book. But more so, upon reflection, sadly, I just wish Robbie had been right. The worst part about sex is that it has to involve someone else. Having sex with yourself doesn't count as having sex. Trust me, I wish it did. Because if so, this would be a love story. But masturbation is like the college wrestling of career sports. It's the driving range, the batting cage, or for better visual, the tetherball beside the basketball court which was right where I was sitting a year after that incident in the library. It was a Thursday, my last day of fifth grade, before summer break and my big transition to that absolutely awful time known as middle school. I was sitting on a picnic table by the fence of my elementary school playground, staring at the tetherball pole and watching its ball on string lightly move in the overcast breeze. Tetherball had been my game over the last few years. I was too slow and dumb to play a real sport, so while the other boys all threw balls back and forth to each other or kicked them between each other's legs, I just passed the time whacking mine alone around and around this solitary pole. And on that day, I looked across the street at the middle school building that awaited me feeling pretty freaked out. The middle school didn't have a playground at all, just a small football field with a track around it. I had no idea how the game of football worked, and absolutely despised running. So it was hard for me to imagine myself over there, and even harder to picture what it was I'd be getting into. I played with the idea that perhaps during recess, they'd let me walk back over here across the street and beat my ball with the little kids. But I'd watched the middle schoolers as I'd come up through the years. I'd watched their teachers, their buses, their single-file lines and order. No, it wasn't likely I'd get to recess back to this time of recesses. I had hit a wall and now had to climb, and I only had three months to do it. I was really worried. I was still a kid, a little boy with toys on the floor of his room and Simpsons sheets on his bed, but soon I'd be carrying my shit in a binder and keeping it in a locker for some stupid-ass reason. But the thing worrying me the most was a folded-up photograph in the pocket of my cargo shorts. I'd been hiding it there for the last week, and I'd need to hide it elsewhere when I got home. It was likely my mother would want to launder the shorts, and if she found the picture, I was doomed. My mother was in no way a threatening or disciplinary parent, but I was a scaredy-cat in all ways possible. Born that way, with no hope of reform. My friend, Josh Crow, lived down the street from me in a house with his older brother, a mom that was never home, and a dad completely out of the picture. Maybe even dead or in jail. I can't remember. A lot of kids I knew back then didn't have dads, myself included. Well, I suppose I had a dad, he just wasn't around and I didn't miss him. After school, me and my friend Ron Ott would go over to Josh Crow's house and develop as men with no adult male guidance. Crow's brother Jeremiah was a bully, but luckily we were young enough for him to just ignore most of the time. This kid named Dustin would come by a lot too, and together we'd all look at pornography, smoke cigarettes, smoke cigars, smoke marijuana out of empty beer cans, eat prescription pills, Drink beer, drink liquor, drink wine coolers, light things on fire, throw knives at each other, play with guns, shoot the guns at squirrels, point the guns at each other, and even sometimes let the older kids who'd come by tattoo shit on us with needles and ink. Well, Dustin did all of this. Ron and Josh mainly drank and smoked, while I, on the other hand, did nothing but look at pornography the entire time. I occasionally had a cigarette and often dove out of the way of a thrown knife, but otherwise could always be found in a beanbag chair in Josh's room with a porn magazine inches from my face. I wasn't a teenager yet, but already I'd seen it all. Every position, every possible number and combination of people. So many penises, so much ejaculate, and above all, so many naked women. Naked women doing things I had never imagined one human doing to another. And doing it with such unrestrained passion that they were perspiring, their perfect bangs clinging damp to their temples as they bit their lower lips, experiencing something I could not yet understand or relate to. But it sure looked like fun. Especially the idea of being one of those faceless guys controlling one of those faceless dongs every page over and over again. I never got enough. But then one day I picked up an issue of Lowrider magazine and turned to a picture of a naked woman with lots of blonde hair and not much else besides a necklace covering her as she leaned one shoulder to a wall, her hands at her waist. She'd been airbrushed to the point where she was actually glowing radiating golden light right off of her skin. Her breasts seemed larger than they should have been, yet this made them all the more captivating. She was thin but rounded, with wide hips and thighs. And between the creases of those lightly crossed legs was more blonde hair. But it was much curlier than the stuff hair into place on her head. This was almost thirty years ago, but I still remember exactly what her face looked like. Every feature, every arc, every angle, and the look in her eyes as her mouth hung slightly open. But I could never describe it, not now. I don't have the talent to put it in words. I'll only say that she was so beautiful that I will never forget her. The rest of her I have to recall But the look on her face has always stayed put in my mind. I think there's a lot of tragedy to this. And a lot I could blame on the photograph. I think it's really awful that the first romantic feelings I experienced were for an almost unattainable stereotype that no woman should ever be compared to. She was a blonde bombshell made of fake parts and photoshopped to look even more unreal. But the first time I turned to that page, I think I must have stared into her eyes for over an hour because I remember some time later Josh kicking my leg and waking me from her spell. Embarrassed, I looked up at him, making sure to save my place in the magazine with my thumb. We're lighting some bottle rockets out back, Josh said. Dustin's gonna stick one in his ass. Then Josh took a drag of his cigarette and nodded to the magazine in my lap. What are you checking out, he asked. Let me see. These were his magazines. His property. We were in his room, in his house. But the girl in the photo felt like mine. There'd been a special connection in the way our eyes had met that first time and I really didn't want to hand him the magazine and possibly spoil that special feeling. But I was a total wimp and a complete pushover and hated confrontation almost as much as I hated gym class. So with pain in my heart I just handed him the magazine, letting him turn right to the spot I'd saved. And then I sat there below him in that beanbag chair, sticking my fist to my cheek and feeling like I'd just betrayed myself. Damn, Josh said, smoke falling out of his nose. This chick's fucking hot. I know, I grumbled, pouting a little. She's so beautiful. Then Josh slowly tore the page out of the magazine, being careful to not rip it or break the binding. I even remember the soft way it sounded as he pulled the glue loose and freed her from the rest. Then he handed me the page, holding her photo right in front of my face, where our eyes met once more. Here, Josh said. You can have it. Josh had offered to let me take whole magazines before. He had so many, probably more than I'd seen. I guess his dad had left them behind in the basement. But I'd never taken one, though, figuring my stupid ass wouldn't know how to hide it. My mother had been speaking about her hatred of pornography a lot lately, probably because she'd noticed her Sears catalogs in the bathroom being dog-eared throughout the bra and swimsuit sections. Yeah, that's how dumb I was. I had dog-eared those pages for quick access. That, and I'd sometimes leave the television turned to the almost pure static Cinemax cable channel our antenna occasionally picked up from the neighbor's house. I was a curious boy, you could say. And living in a single-mother home, I guess I was blind to the crumb trail I left behind. So in the last week, my mom had started being directly vocal about her zero-tolerance policy toward pornography. She called it smut and lectured that it was pure filth and not something a good person looked at. My mother is an incredible parent, loving, reliable, and good to her very core. So hearing her say that quickly made me realize that I just wasn't a good person. A good person would hear that and stop looking at pornography, stop having the thoughts I was having, stop turning open that glossy page or squinting themselves into a headache just to see one nipple through all that television static. But giving up pornography was not possible. There was no way I was going to stop looking at pornography. It was all I thought about and all I ever wanted to do. I daydreamed about pornography all the way through class, and actually dreamed about pornography every night in my sleep. And whenever I had the chance, it was there in my hands, held close to my heart. Nothing my mom said could change that. I guess I was just a bad kid, a bad person. But because of these lectures, I'd been more secretive lately. Even taking up smoking with Josh and Ron to calm my nerves before walking home with all the savored images of pornography in my head to get me through the night. But now came an offer I could not refuse. Before, when Josh had suggested taking a magazine or two home with me, I had always just shook my head, claiming my mother would find it and that I would be in deep trouble. I got enough of a fix just looking at them here in his room. Plus I didn't want to be that bad of a person. Looking was one thing, but it had been troubling me lately to think about what would happen if I were to be around pornography all by myself. I was only 10 years old, but already here were the crossroads. She was right in front of my eyes, looking me right in the face wanting me there was no way I could resist she was just one page I could fold her up and keep her all to myself look at her whenever I wanted so I took the picture from his hand thanks I said thanks a lot man yeah no problem Josh said tossing the magazine back onto a stack in the corner She's all yours. I turned the page and looked at the backside. It was an advertisement for a fancy red motorcycle with an Asian woman straddling it. Luckily this gal was wearing a red bikini, so folding it up and hiding the other side from sight would be easy. Plus if I folded it just right, it'd only be a small square of red and black paper. Nothing suspicious at all. I began to fold it like this, wanting to get the fuck out of there and back home to be alone with it. To hell with the bottle rocket in Dustin's ass. To hell with cigarettes and booze and partying with the boys. I had a woman in my life now. And that meant priorities had changed. Careful with that, Josh said, pointing to the page with his cigarette. Don't fold it up too much, it'll get all wrinkled. I should have listened to this advice. Right, I said, dumbly creasing each fold and making it small enough to tuck into my pocket. I just don't want to lose it on my walk home, uh, because I have to go home now. I was rambling, making any excuse to get out of there. Don't let your mom find that, Josh's brother Jeremiah said, appearing in the door and leaning into the frame to block my path. And if she does, don't tell her we gave it to you. Otherwise, I'm going to kick your ass. Find what? Dustin asked, running in from the kitchen with a beer in one hand and a bottle rocket in the other. Sky's new girlfriend, Ron said, speaking up for the first time that afternoon from his spot inside the other beanbag chair. No way, Dustin scoffed, tossing the firecracker over his shoulder. Let me see. I tried to recoil from his grip, but like I said, I was a wuss, and with Jeremiah blocking my exit, there was nothing left to do but pull her out of my pocket and hand her to Dustin. My only prayer was that he wouldn't rip it up, something he would very likely do. I hoped at most he would just steal it and that perhaps Josh could get it back for me later. But much to my surprise, Dustin just took a drink of his beer, sat the can down, and then delicately unfolded the page and looked her over with a trembling hand. And then he took another swig of beer and looked some more, up and down, down and up, chewing on something in his mouth. Damn, dude, he said finally. This chick is hot as fuck. Then I noticed Jeremiah glancing over Dustin's shoulder looking her in the eyes as well. I sympathized with him a little right then. Though Jeremiah was an oaf, this proved he was human just like me. That longing in his eyes? It was a real moment for him. Nice find, Dustin concluded, folding the page up a little better than I had and handing it back. I'd hang on to her if I were you. She's something special. Where should I hide it, I asked, realizing things had just changed and that we were no longer little boys horsing around, but big kids having a real discussion. Where would you hide it? I asked this to Jeremiah, of all people. I'd never spoken to him unless spoken to until that point, but he was the oldest and likely the one with the most experience, and I wanted the straight truth. Closet, he said without hesitation. Moms don't like to go into boys' closets because they're smelly and messy. Hide it deep in there, maybe somewhere up high you gotta climb to. She won't find it. I remember every word verbatim because I was paying that close of attention to his instructions. And although I was a clean kid with not much of a mess or odor in my closet, it did have high shelves stacked with things that hadn't been touched in years. A lot of this was storage of toys and clothes I'd outgrown. I could tuck it up among those boxes and it'd never be found. And if I crawled onto a chair, I could get it even farther back. I think you should just keep it on you, Dustin suggested, picking up the bottle rocket best way to not lose something is to keep it close. Plus then, you can see her whenever you want. This idea immediately made way more sense. It was all new to me because I'd never really done anything like this before. Kept something hidden. I was already starting to feel guilty. Just don't drop it in the toilet, Ron warned, his chin quivering. I had a picture like that once, and I accidentally dropped it in the toilet. Well then what'd you do, Dustin asked, taking a swig of his beer. I had to flush her, Ron sadly confessed. She slipped right through my hands. We all silently looked at the ground, as Ron did the same. Then one of Jeremiah's friends came barging in from the kitchen with a rifle pointed straight out and cocked on his shoulder. Ron and Josh dove into the bedroom, Dustin dropped behind a couch, and Jeremiah tackled the gunman, the two of them breaking a coffee table as they hit the floor. The crazed kid started laughing as Jeremiah ripped the gun from his hands and climbed to his feet. In the instant chaos, I backed out the front door, stole half a cigarette from an ashtray on the porch, and took off down the street. But then I took a right through a break in some hedges and cut across a lawn, entering the alley behind a garage. Josh lived about five blocks down the road from my house, and after our hangouts, I'd always walk the peaceful tree-lined sidewalk that ran along the avenue, admiring the flowers and waving to neighbors and passing cars. But today, I'd become someone with secrets. A bad kid. So this was where I belonged walking among the dumpsters, busted cars, broken fence lines, and ugly weeds of the back alley. The ground at my feet was broken and unlevel, and every few paces a new darkness would emerge from the shadows to stare back at me, whether it was the gaping wound of a rotting toolshed door or the pure blackness of a cellar's open jaws. I cowered between the brittle reaching limbs of the unattended and forgotten brush, the neglected hide beneath these supposed small-town homes. Suddenly they became the facades they'd been all along, and walking this path I could see through each house and out onto the street I'd taken all the times before. I could have ran through any yard and been back on my old way, but something about the darkness made me curious. Then I stuck my hand in my pocket and felt her hit the tip of my finger. Just the touch of that glossy paper put her right in front of me. I didn't even have to close my eyes. I could already see her perfectly. And something in her eyes, the thing that'd been there from the start, told me to go ahead. It didn't just tell me. It asked me. Begged me. And so I looked around over each of my shoulders and then sidestepped into the black square of an open garage. Then I leaned a shoulder to the door frame, took the photo out, and began to unfold it. I still remember the way the paper sounded in my hands that first time her and I were completely alone. It was a steady, breathing crinkle, the union of the pulse from my hand and the page's ruining creases. But still, there she was among those harsh lines. And the sound, though simple, was hypnotizing and instantly sexual. And I stared and stared. I wasn't caught by the homeowners, although there wasn't really much to catch me doing. I was just looking at a crumpled piece of paper, having new thoughts and feelings bubble up in me like warm champagne. They fizzed like this too. Tangling my hands and ears, my knees and gut. All I could think about was kissing her. But in a perverse twist, the kissing didn't stop. First, I looked her in the eyes as her lips parted. Then, I moved closer, my nose bumping hers, her warm, damp breath collecting in my own mouth before turning cold as mint. And then the soft kiss began. But just as it did, the vision froze still, and the blood fell beneath the skin of my face like water over a stone, pouring down my throat, over my collarbone, and trickling down my spine. There I was, cold and exposed, my eyes clenched shut, feeling bruised. Then an ache took form within. And I grew nauseous. The taste of oranges and walnuts climbed the back of my tongue. And as I fell forward to faint, I almost dropped the page. But then the sound of a passing car woke me, and my eyes shot open. There was concrete at my feet, rakes and shovels at my side. I looked to the sky, and there were clouds. But none of this seemed real. As real as the kiss. I couldn't bring myself to look back at the page, worried that the look in her eyes might be different now, different the way my neighborhood suddenly seemed. So instead I folded it up and tucked it back in my pocket and stomped home to use the bathroom. I only made it a block, however, because she was all I could think about. So I dipped between a junked old car and stucco wall and pulled her out glancing around as I unfolded it for a second time. I remember how uncomfortably bright the sun was, like a spotlight on my back. I think right then was when I began to hate daylight. What I was thinking, what I was doing, was not something meant for daylight. The place where her and I were in my mind was as dark and cool as a cave. And that cave was the only place I wanted to be. So again, with my ass pressed to the car's bumper, I shut my eyes and crawled inside to find her waiting for me, leaning there with her hands at her waist and her necklace sparkling as it rode the curve over the top of her left breast and down between them both. I barely needed the page. Hell, I wasn't even looking at it. Just holding it open and closing my eyes, absorbing the filth as it radiated from it. I held for as long as I could, long enough to almost pass out again. How could I breathe with her mouth locked onto mine? What was happening? It felt so good despite the suffocation. Perhaps because of the suffocation. That concludes this episode. Once again, portions of this program have been brought to you by Monarch brand premium liquid butter alternative and by the fine folks at Lowrider magazine. For more information, go to skyodsley.com. That's www.skyaudsley.com. dot com.